Hi, my name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. We are going to have so much fun together. I hope that our conversations about pleasure light you up. And I hope they inspire you to reclaim your desires and create more space in your day to bring pleasure into your work, your family life, and yes, even your sex life. We will practice and explore the art of pleasure together. Let's play. Hello, everyone. This is Pasha Marlowe from the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. And today, friends, is my first solo episode, and I am terrified. I think I've been putting this off because I knew what I would be talking about would be challenging. And frankly, um, I wasn't able to write it all down and so never felt fully prepared. And it's a very rare occasion that I'm at my house alone without my child being here. And I'll be talking about him quite a bit in a moment, but he is mercifully in school today. So I'm taking advantage of the opportunity to finally record this solo episode. So often I start the podcast asking my own guests, what is pleasure? And I define pleasure as freedom and life-saving, tiny, scrappy, fierce, brave efforts that we can sprinkle into our days even when they're challenging, even in the darkest of days, we can sprinkle pleasure in. And this is all going to make a lot more sense soon. But of course, people assume that because I call myself a midlife pleasure and laughter coach, and I run groups called Roar with Laughter, which is therapeutic comedy, and I have this podcast, Let Pleasure Be the Measure. And then I wrote a book, a liberating book called My Next Husband Will Be a Lesbian, one might assume that my life is full of pleasure, laughter, and sex. <laughs> Two of those are right. <laughs> uh, so this is the real story, the backstory. And I'm truthful and honest and open, unfiltered, and vulnerable on the episodes with guests, but I don't often go into detail about my own story. Um, But I think it's important because I believe I can help empower and liberate those of you out there who resonate with the feeling that pleasure and laughter seem inaccessible and not in the cards for us because life has been challenging. Or maybe we're in the middle of a uh, trauma or crisis or transition that's depleting us. I think about what our energy as mothers is like right after delivering a baby, those postpartum weeks when you're exhausted and there's a person hanging on you all the time and you're giving all of yourself. 
So this is what it feels like when you're parenting or caregiving for a chronically ill person that you love. It's a 24-7 job and a 24-7 awareness of their needs and their feelings and, and then your responsibility to help care for them. So behind the scenes of this fantastically fun Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast is a very sick little boy, my son, Jamie, who's 13 and 581 days ago, not counting. He went from being a jubilant, goofy, chubby little boy who was, if he stood up tall, like head about chest high and now looking back to that day back when in August of uh, 2019 he woke up and he couldn't walk down the stairs and he couldn't stand up on his own he couldn't toilet on his own he was in extreme pain and we assumed it was an injury um, so we took him to an orthopedic clinic and they thought it was maybe a knee injury or um, a tear. Um, of course, we did all the testing and we went down this long, long rabbit hole of trying to figure out what it was, throughout which I said, we should test for Lyme because my daughter, my middle child, I have two older children who are adults, Josh, who's 24, and Emily who's 22 and my daughter had Lyme. So I knew Lyme is tricky. Lyme is sneaky. Lyme does not look like a bullseye rash and swollen knees. Lyme does not always feel like arthritis or a fever. Lyme could show up as brain fog or tummy aches or um, paranoia or um, OCD symptoms or an, a debilitating fatigue. So for Jamie, it was kind of all of that. And long story short, we went months of negative tests for everything and uh, finally ended up at a doctor who, uh, a more homeopathic alternative uh, holistic healer who diagnosed him with Lyme and um, and some co-infections and unfortunately a very toxic reaction to a vaccine as well. But all that being said, he went from being an athletic, silly, goofy, playful little boy to now two years later, he's taller than me. He's five, seven, and he's, he's so thin. All of his muscle is gone. He spends most of the time on the couch. He very rarely goes to school, maybe once a week. He very rarely uh, plays with friends. He has a hard time um, with his chronic pain and he's, he's needing medicine around the clock. We're needing to go to doctors every week. Um, it's, it's emotionally and physically exhausting and terribly, terribly heartbreaking to watch my child's childhood drift away in this manner. And we're working on how to keep our spirits up because truth be told back in the winter of 2019, then um, it was so dark. It was such a dark time. 
he was in the constant pain and we were in and out of doctors and hospitals and terribly painful treatments and disgusting medicine. And um, I had quit my job as a holistic personal trainer. He wasn't in school for the entire sixth grade. And this is all before COVID friends. It was right before it hit. And we were in and out of places like Boston Children's Hospital, who we were certain would be able to uh, heal him and they could not. So it was a dark time that included suicidal ideation and a lot of very scary thoughts and words and pictures. And I stayed by his side, did not leave his side. We had friends bring us food because I'd never left for the grocery store. I had neighbors walk our dog because I couldn't even feel safe walking down to the mailbox. So hypervigilance, right? And um, with good reason. So flash forward to <laughs> March of 2020, everybody remembers that month where COVID hit and interestingly, he was not now the kid who missed school. He was not the kid who had to be at home. I was not the mom who couldn't work. I was not the mom who wasn't able to go to the grocery store. Just like everyone, we were suffering with uncertainty and grief and loss. And the rest of the world was as well. Now, I am terribly sad that the world is suffering as it is. And... There is also a part of me that felt a deep sense of relief that we were not alone. And we felt a sense of belonging and community that we hadn't felt before. Our friends actually finally realized the toll of staying home all the time, of not being able to go to school, of having to work from the couch on a laptop, of being scared to go to the grocery store, um, of being scared of dying of being scared of catching a terrible illness um, and losing people and dying alone. These are all realities uh, of ours that finally it seemed like our friends and family somewhat understood. And so somehow that lifted quite a heavy load off of my shoulders. And I was already through the worst of it. I had already started my coaching practice. I had uh, transitioned from being a marriage and family therapist. We'll go back even further. <laughs> a, a professional uh, actress and child uh, children's theater director to a psychology major and a theater major and psychology major in college to transferring to graduating with psychology and then marriage and family therapy. Um, I got my master's in that. Uh, and then I started making babies. Um, so I didn't uh, work in the field for very long, but transitioned from there after making babies to holistic personal training, owning yoga and wellness studios and teaching something like 20 or 25 yoga and fitness classes a week, boot camp, and uh, doing competitive triathlons and um, just training people around the clock and working my butt off, working out of myself all the time. And so, uh, so what happened was I hurt. <laughs> it hurt. It hurts to work out that much. Anything too much is not good, right? And so my body started to fall apart and I had uh, two hip replacements and a cervical fusion. And I was like, wow, 
I need to stop teaching other people and exercising with them 25 to 50 hours a week, go figure. And so I started to transition into the holistic personal training, which was much more gentle. And I really loved the aspect of talking to people, mainly women, about their social wellness, their sexual wellness, um, the emotional side of movement and how to embody our emotions. So what lit me up was not so much watching people exercise anymore, but the conversations that occurred in my studio spaces and in that safe and empathetic space. So I, I really embraced the idea of coaching and um, it's evolved from, from life coaching to mindset coaching to now uh, laughter and pleasure coaching because of Jamie's illness and because of our deep grief, because I really had to get fierce about finding my own pleasure when it didn't seem there was any or finding something to laugh at when nothing seemed funny. Can you relate to this friends? Like there are days where I can't find anything funny except for maybe how bad it is. Or some days Jamie and I will find humor in how awful the decor in the hospitals are, how how awful a choice is that they would play the news in the waiting room of a pediatric center or the terrible bedside, bedside manner of a doctor or how awful the medicine tastes. How bad can this medicine taste? Let's make it even worse. And one day, not too long ago, uh, for example, Jamie woke up. He usually wakes up right next to me because his nights are hard. And so it's, it is like having an infant with me. He's, he's always there. And I, I'm often at night listening to him breathe and reaching out with my hand to make sure his heart is still beating and that he's still with me. And he often wakes up crying or moaning and saying, mama, I hurt, or mama, squeeze my hand, it hurts so much. And he squeezes my hand friend so hard, it has fractured my hand. It's pain, it's pain that he's feeling. And, um, he woke up and he said, mama, I would do anything to get better. I would do anything to feel better. And I said, you would do anything? Well, what would you do? Because now we're learning and practicing how to see the world through the lens of humor. And he said through tears, I don't know. I don't know. I would do anything. I would, I would eat eyeballs. You would eat eyeballs? That's disgusting, right? I'm trying to shift his mood. I'm trying to allow him and honor the emotions, like honor the pain, honor the grief and the sadness and the fear, but also how can we move through them? How can we embody them or find some edges of humor around them? And I said, you would eat eyeballs? What kind of eyeballs would you eat? I don't know. I don't know, I would eat fish eyeballs. I'd eat, I'd eat your eyeballs. And now we're laughing. He's like, I would eat warthog eyeballs. You would eat warthog eyeballs to feel better? That's gross. I know, but it's so painful, mama. I would eat warthog eyeballs. How many warthog eyeballs would you eat, Jamie? I would eat, now he's smiling and almost laughing throughout the whole thing now. I would eat my favorite number, 21. I would eat 21 warthog eyeballs if I could just feel better. And now friends, we are laughing. A minute before, 
he's grabbing my hand and crying in pain. And now we're laughing. We're laughing about war dogs. We're laughing about eyeballs. We're laughing about bodily fluids. This is frequent in our house. We're talking about farts and boogers. And I know those of you with um, toddlers and teenagers get this. Um, gosh, potty humor works, <laughs> right? So thank goodness for that. So we find our ways through the day by sneaking in the humor, which is also sneaking in the pleasure. So while he's taking medicine, we're eating a couple um, gummy bears that are actually vitamins, but we call them gummy bears. We are um, trying different ways to insert the medicine into him. We are mixing the medicine with maple syrup. We are playing music while doing the medicine. We are singing, we're telling jokes. Does it always look like this? Oh no, oh no, no. It often looks like crying and gagging and begging and refusing. And we just do the best we can, right? So uh, we get through the medicine time, we try to get dressed, we try to get out of the house, but I would say 90% of the days, PJs on the couch, a whole lot of Xbox, talking to friends through the Xbox, um, talking to me, playing games, playing board games, playing card games, talking about how to roll and flick a booger, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. So you might've been expecting that I was gonna talk about pleasure in terms of sex and sexuality or bubble baths. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was just thinking how long it's been since I've taken a bath. A long time, friends. Um, okay. So that's the reality of behind the scenes. So if you're out there listening and you have a sick kid or an infant or a sick parent or you're sick yourself, or you're just going through something hard and shitty, know you can absolutely sprinkle the pleasure in over those shitty days. Absolutely. Some days it's going to look like laughter through tears. Some days it's gonna look like screaming and releasing emotion and then ending up laughing or napping, that's good. Crawl under the fuzzy blanket and rest, that's pleasure, right? Drinking two cups of coffee instead of one in your favorite mug, that's pleasure. Calling a friend, looking out the window if you can't get outside, looking at the sun, looking at the, the sky. I know all these things sound contrived because we were told when he was in a lot of pain to close our eyes and to imagine ourselves at a beach. And we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it because the pain was so bad. So sometimes stillness and yoga and meditation, even though I teach that, doesn't work. I used to find that I would try yoga and meditation. And when that didn't work, I would try Tai Chi because it was a little bit more movement. And when that didn't work, I would try weightlifting because it felt like I can release some of my really deep anger and grief through the weightlifting. And then when that didn't work, I would try jumping on a trampoline, going for a walk, doing burpees. And sometimes I was just too tired to move. And so I would lie down and I would listen to comedy specials. 
I wasn't expecting to access humor and laughter in the middle of my deepest grief and fear of losing my child. But all of a sudden, I found Hannah Gadsby and Tignataro and other brilliant, sophisticated, intelligent, witty comedians who are going through hard stuff. And they're talking about cancer and their sexuality and bullying and illness and in such a beautiful, vulnerable way that yes, it was comedy and storytelling and powerful healing. And I saw myself on stage doing that. I saw myself reframing my trauma through the lens of humor. And I saw myself laughing at my own trauma. And I saw myself teaching other women to do the same. And something amazing happened in my brain around this time of um, very late 2019, where you know, you, you learn about how the brain has this you know, neuroplasticity and, and it can evolve and change and shift and grow and learn and unlearn. But I had not laughed or had fun yet. I was serious. I couldn't feel playful for 50 years, 50 years. I didn't grow up in a home that valued laughter and pleasure and play. I didn't value laughter and pleasure and play. So how odd that a catalyst moment would be fearing losing my son and feeling like I couldn't survive losing my son. So I was thinking about my own mortality as well, but this is actually not that uncommon that a catalyst moment for great change is great heartache, the break down before the breakthrough. And so many of these comedians that I was following had gone through terrible trauma and were making it part of their routine, um, even making past abusers the, the butt of their jokes. I said, whoa, that's taking back power. So I started researching comedy and laughter and humor and realized, of course, there's so much research about how it reduces pain. Um, <laughs> relaxes your nervous system, improves your confidence. I mean, it, they say in coaching, you know, if your product doesn't help people make money, lose weight or have better sex, it's going to be hard to sell. And, um, and I understand that's true, but I am just here to say that if you can find the funny and you can learn to be the funny, you can absolutely make more money because you're going to be able to engage people in your work better. Your clients are going to be more engaged. You're going to lead with laughter and love and have all the authority and expertise, but also the relatability and the, and the fun. That's brilliant leadership. Um, you're going to feel better and more energized you're gonna be able to get yourselves out of bed. You're gonna be able to walk outside and move your body because a lot of the heavy emotions you've been holding are now gonna be released. And anytime you release secrets or shames, limiting beliefs, it's like lightening a load. It's like taking off a very heavy backpack. So you're gonna start moving your body. So I'm gonna say that comedy and accessing humor also helps you lose weight. Now, as for sex, 
this is something I'm still working on because as you know, I absolutely value pleasure. Um, I have studied pleasure in terms of sexuality and sensuality. I follow goddesses and geniuses uh, like Mama Gina, who talks about pussy power and listening to our our pussies and our um, deepest desires. I listen to, listening is the operative word here, friends, um, coaches who tell me to access pleasure daily through uh, self-pleasure and orgasms. And all this sounds just awesome. And I really want to do it. But I have a 13-year-old kid next to me in my bed every night needing my help. And he is with me every day unless he's in school. So yes, right now, instead of recording this podcast, I should be practicing self-pleasure. Go figure. I just realized that. I'll do that later. But here, I am here to tell you that sometimes pleasure does not look like sex or sexuality or sensuality in any way, shape, or form. And if you are not able to or don't feel comfortable right now experiencing solo sex or partner sex or pleasure in the traditional sense of candles and bubble baths and smelling flowers, fine, fine. Your pleasure might be screaming. Your pleasure might be chocolate. Your pleasure might be uh, throwing rocks into a river. It doesn't matter. It's whatever brings you release and a sense of freedom and a sense of embodiment, right? And then can you start to play? In the coaching programs I lead, we play games. We play improv games. We tell stories. We make each other laugh. Uh, at my, in my house, we play card games and board games. It's not sitting down and playing Legos that we need to do. If you have a toddler at home, don't hold on to shame if you don't want to sit down and, and play Legos with your kid. Can you access play with your child and yourself in a different way through music or dance or writing or drawing or gardening or exercising? Fill in the blank, friends, because it doesn't matter as long as you're doing something. And I think it's actually most effective when it's creative. I still find every single time that I teach comedy technique, comedy writing technique, it's hard. So it's going to be a constant challenge for me, which is great for my ADHD brain. I need constant stimulation. And so I find it playful and fun and challenging and a really great safe risk. And it's a social um, activity to laugh together and to uh, write comedy together. And in the coaching programs, the sisterhood is really the magic. Um, the comedy shows are fun, but eight weeks of sisterhood where we move from rupture to rapture, eight weeks of sisterhood where we tell our stories and then reframe them through the lens of humor and take our power back and reclaim our pleasure and our desire. Hell yeah, that's transformative. So that's, that's in my pleasure. Um, I run coaching groups where we just do improv and we play and it's the hardest thing some of us do. We can do hard things 
And we do all the time, but ask a woman in particular, a mother to play. It's like play. You mean with my kid? Oh, oh, myself. What do I do for fun? Wait, what do you mean? What do I do for fun? But without my kids? Oh, wait, what, what you're asking me what I like, what I like, what I like. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. What do I like? What do I, what do I want? What do I, what do I want? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I desire. I don't know. I don't know. This is the response. This is the response I get. And there's this light bulb moment of awareness that not only have we been putting ourselves at the bottom of the list, but we actually have gone 50 maybe years without having fun. That's not okay. Let's change that. Let's change that. I, I know how to do it. I know how to do it. And it is transformative and liberating. Lately, I have been having so much fun <laughs> with my, my typical client, who, by the way, is a fluid or a bisexual woman with ADHD, um, an aversion to loud chewing and a relentless sense of wonder and creativity who is caregiving her people like crazy and has forgotten how to play, but desires a more vibrant, beautiful, adventurous, fun life. I love that client. I love all my clients, but that's my favorite one. When a woman calls and just says, I don't know where I went. I don't even know if I ever found myself, but I'm so ready. Here I am, you know, midlife, whatever you define midlife to be. And I'm running out of time. I have to figure this out. I'm ready to make some changes. I'm ready. I'm ready to try new things. And I'm ready to lose people along the way. Because you might, you might in your reclamation of self-worth and desire and pleasure, lose people that no longer serve you well, do not understand you, do not support you, do not help rise you up. So let us surround ourselves with people who embrace all of us, all of our emotions, who embrace our expansive sexuality, who embrace our relentless desire to feel more, to feel more alive, and to start to have fun. Let's find friends to help us on this journey. I know that that is how I help people. I know that when I sit down with somebody, whether I'm coaching them or not, this is on anytime, anytime we enter into a group or a free liberation call or a weekly program or a coaching program that ends in a comedy routine or my one-on-one -on -one clients, this is just across the board that my gift and my value is my integrity and my empathy and my willingness to hold space for all of the emotions and to go to the darkest of places. There are times when with a client, we are talking about in the same breath sometimes, 
suicide and sexual trauma and vibrators all in the same moment because that's us that we're so diverse and multifaceted and complicated and weird and quirky this way and i say yes to all of it to all of it so for anyone listening out there who feels like i get this yes this sounds like me i resonate with things you're saying i want sisterhood i want somebody to be a soft place to land when i'm expressing and feeling all these big emotions i need more support i need to learn to ask for help and receive it i want to play i want to laugh damn it <laughs> this is my birthright <laughs> my innate state is joy and i have yet to fully experience it and i know life is brutal as glennon doyle says both brutal and beautiful i know i know cuz i'm in it but that does not mean that we cannot access pleasure and laughter and community and belonging this was nothing i planned i have a sticky note with notes and none of the things i said are on the sticky note which means friends that what you got just now was me unfiltered my heart my soul my honest desire to share my story and my deep longing to hear yours i hope this podcast inspires you to anything from subscribe to the podcast to reach out to me to hear about my offerings from one-on-one -on -one or group coaching um maybe you want to grab my book my next husband will be a lesbian i'm going to focus on that in my next solo episode which is i don't know when <laughs> the next time my kid goes to school i will i will record that episode I hope you reach out. I hope you at least um DM me or email me or sign up for a free call. Just cuz I want to meet you. I really do. We are so much more alike than different. My favorite quote I will end with. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Anisnen. Such a pleasure talking to you all today.